Welcome to the Band About podcast series. Today, I will be chatting to an Adelaide drummer who plays jazz exclusively and can be seen playing every Tuesday night at the Gilbert Hotel. My guest is Ben Riley. Welcome, Ben. Thank you for making time to chat with me today. It's my pleasure, Di. Okay, Ben, let's start from the beginning. Uh, you were born in Adelaide, is that correct? Uh, correct. And whereabouts did you grow up and spend most of your childhood? I grew up in Blackwood, sort of the inner inner Adelaide Hills, yeah. That's a nice area. Well, it, well, it, well, it was. It was good for drums too because I had a um, – we had a reserve out the back, so there was no neighbours on the back. So any, um, and it went down, sort of down the gully. So we had, so it was sort of, yeah, which was handy. Um, so I didn't get too many complaints from all the noise. So where did you go to school, Ben? I went well for um, high school or primary school. I went to hmm. Bellevue Heights in Eden mm-hmm. Hills. And high school, I went to Marion High School, and it, which is not there anymore. I think it's a housing development now. Um, oh, okay. That was on um, at Cloverly Park on South Road, Marion High School. They had a good music program. Um, well, it, well, it was good when I was there. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it was yeah. Oh, you're lucky because I know a lot of schools don't offer music. So the ones that did actually get to go to a school that, you know, had that was a bit of a bonus for them, definitely. Yeah, yeah we had a, a school band and a little jazz band and, um, yeah, and, and lessons, um, which was part of the, the education, the public education um, system. So we had the, the, all the music instrumental teachers would go through and so that didn't cost us, um, the students, anything. And, and I took lessons back, um, then from the late, great Ray Horn, um, who introduced me to the Ted Reed book of syncopation, and all the drummers will, will know that. We've all gone mm-hmm. through that m- multiple times. So, and Ray introduced me to, yeah, all, and, and reading music and and how to hold my sticks correctly. Cause, um, so, yeah, I, I met him when I was in year eight, about 12 years old. So, mm. yeah. So what led or who originally influenced you to start playing drums? I actually don't remember a time in my life that I wasn't fascinated by drums and drawn to them. Um, sort of, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, yeah, I don't actually, I don't remember a time when I went, you know what, I want to play the drums. Sounds a bit cliche, cliche. I was born sort of to play drums. But it's, it, yeah, there was no... It's just always been there. Um, back in kindergarten, I used to turn over buckets and pans and, and make a lot of noise and go through all my mum's chopsticks. She'd go, mm. she'd go mad at me for breaking all of her chopsticks, but I, I used to um, yeah, make my own sort of drums out of buckets and, and things. And then when I was um, – I think my, the dad from the local Lions Mart bought me a snare drum when I was um, – God, how old I? I would have been – Probably maybe year three, two or three, but um, playing that with a little symbol from a little toy symbol that I had um, <laughs> had it tied. It was a little hand symbol from one of these little toy kits, toy sort of box from the toy box, and I would tie a piece of string on it and tie it to 
to something in my room and I'd hit it and it would do an arc. It would like it would it would swing, mm. and then I'd have to sort of be rat a tat tat and wait for it to come the arc to come back to me, and then I'd get, have another go at it and hit it <laughs> swinging. <laughs> that's where I, I guess I, I first started playing swing music. I guess, <laughs> um, but but. And then when I was eight, and I think my dad bought me that to think, well, he'll, he'll get it out of his system. He'll, um, you know, he'll, he'll just be playing that and then he'll get sick. But it, I didn't. I just got more and more obsessed. So then when I was eight, um, he bought me my first, it was a little Pearl drum kit. Okay. And the rest is there. So from then on. So as far as who influenced me back then, before I used to listen to, well, I'd go through my parents' record, vinyl record collection and, and, didn't really know the artists, but I knew what I liked. So I'd play them on my little little record player in my um, room and would play them. And all the stuff I loved was um, all the Beatles records. So I used to play along with um, with Ringo. Mm. Big early influence because I used to play along to all the records. I used to know all the songs and sing along with them and play. And then there was another couple of albums. There was another one I really loved. I played over and over. I didn't play drums to it, but it was um, a Beethoven record of my mum's. And I, I'd play that. Um, over and over and over, um, and then there was another record there, a jazz sort of compilation um, album, and that had Elling- I think it was mostly Ellington, mostly Ellington stuff. Mm. Um, so I'd be and I and I loved playing. I didn't really know it was jazz. I didn't know what jazz I, but I just knew that that I enjoyed listening to it and playing along and trying to figure out what the drummer was drums were doing. So that was back in sort of early junior school or early primary school. So it's, yeah, that was my early. So I guess by the time I got to high school, I already knew. And I'm, I'm, I was a drummer. I wasn't, no, oh, I think I'll play drums. I was already a drummer. I was, you know, playing and had my own kit. And that was a big thing when you're a kid. I got my own drums. Mm. Um, and then I met Ray who, who um, pointed out that the way I was holding my sticks wasn't wasn't all, all that right because I had a couple of books and I was sort of just watch, looking at what I used to look at the pictures because we didn't have internet, didn't have YouTube. Mm. Look at the pictures and trying to work out oh, what's the drama doing with his hands. And so it was just dependent on the artist's um, drawing of the fingers to swear. And I just copy it literally. So Ray undid all of that and put me on the right on the right track. And then, yeah, I played all the way through high school. And then when I got to year um, 10, um, Ray put me on to Laurie Kennedy. And, and I started taking some lessons privately um, with Laurie um, for the rest of high school and then um, after high school went to the con and then continued with Laurie. Then did the, the music degree um, major in jazz performance back in the day. Right. Well, that's excellent. And when did you uh, first get involved with the band? Was that in high school or in uni? Oh, I was always playing with bands, bits and pieces, you know, with a, with a friends at um, high school, but proper play, like as far as playing professional, well, at the, well the, the con was a great play and it still is. There's a, a lot of really good musicians come out of that, um, the con, because it's it's such a, um, a healthy environment to, um, to cultivate good musicians and to cultivate that, that passion because you're around musicians, like-minded people all day. Um, looking for you know opportunities to play and jam and learn about music. You're living in you, you basically you're essentially you're immersed in music for those years um, doing the the, the, the degree. Um, 
So I played with a lot of ensembles um, in the doing the, the the music course at the con, and then my first paid gig. And I, I remember the phone call. It was a, I think I was still in high school, just finishing up high school. And so I'd been taking some less, lessons off Laurie for a couple of years then, and and Ray Horn was playing with a band. It was a big band called Polished Brass, if I remember the name correctly, and they had a they had a um, like a show because a ball down at Glenelg in the Glenelg Town Hall. Oh, amazing! I remember. I actually remember it. I remember it clearly because I got. So I think Ray called and said it was Ray or Laurie. It might have been Ray was playing with, and then he couldn't make it that night. He was unwell, and could I do it? So, I, um, and it was a sight reading for me, um, but I knew how to read a few dots by then, and and I knew and I. Knew, knew a bit about um, big band music so I'd uh, be listening to it for a long time. And so that, that was my first paid gig and I remember Dad driving me down there and helping me like the, like the tubs in so I'd, I'd never done that before. Mm. And, yeah, that was, that, was the, that was the first time. And then through, through the uni, through doing the course, little things come up here and there and I played with a bunch of guys. I met um, the Adelaide's famous... Tim Bowen on the bass. I started playing with Tim um, and Kim Kim Perling, a um, pianist, um, through uni. We were we we played each other's um, exams, so we did a lot of playing together. And then when we finished at the con, we um, kept the the outfit together and did a lot of playing over the next sort of five five to seven years. Uh, we worked through the through the nineties. Most of it, well, the first. First half of the nineties, uh, we were playing a lot. The three of us with various um, outfits around town. And you also uh, played overseas with that lineup, didn't you? At some stage. Not, not with, um, not with those guys. I had, I've done a, uh, I've made a few trips um, overseas. When I, I spent about almost a year away, about ten months away. When I finished at the con, I went. Um, um, spent some time in the UK and then um, and then over to the States, went to New York and hunted down um, some of my favourite players at the time, um, which we had to do by writing letters and phoning them. Uh, we didn't have the – I think, no, we had internet, but you didn't, um, you didn't sort of jump online and look people up and email. You didn't have email or anything. So, so I went – that was oh, – was that in the mid early nineties? And um, the first so I played with, no, I went, uh, went and took some lessons off Kenny Kenny Washington, who was one of all oh, still is one of my great uh, one of my favourite players. Um, who else was there? Lewis Nash, a wonderful drummer. Um, a bunch of guys. Carl Allen's another one. Marvin Smitty Smith. I was listening to a lot of him back then, so I um, spent some time with him. And what a training, what a training ground in clubs watching the guys play, mm. um, which was, yeah, that was probably the greatest training um, you can have as a jazz musician, other than being on the bandstand, of course, and playing. Yeah, definitely. So what was your first major gig then, Ben? First major? Well, the, well, the first, um, the first sort of paid gig was that was back down at Glenelg, like I was talking about um, yeah. before. But um, 
major goal. First, early an early residency that we that we we had with the the band with Kim and Tim. Um, originally, it was with James Clark. Was in that band first. Was at Tappers mm-hmm. um, Bar. So some people might remember that if they're of um, uh, my vintage. Um, and that was a bar in the east end of Adelaide in Rundle Street, and we had a residency there for about seven years. And That's it was, a pretty good run. It was a great run. Actually, it's only been passed um, by our residency at the Gilbert Street Hotel, which I play with um, uh, the airbenders, James Muller and Paul White. So we've been playing there for eight or nine years wow. now, every Tuesday night. Yeah, so so Tapas was about seven years, and we it was eleven p.m. to two a.m. every Friday night. So we used to do um, the Harney Park Royal. I don't know what it is now. It's the hotel on Harney Street. I don't know what it's called now. Um, no idea. But that's what yeah. it was called back then. And so we did, um, and we did that for about the same amount of time. So we did that from six till ten, six p.m. till ten p.m. with a with a singer, Joe Laurie. We did that for some years with us. Um. Six, so we do six till ten, pack our gear up, and then race down to the east end and set up. And we were um, and we play from eleven till two. <laughs> that was every Friday night for about seven years. Okay, it's yeah. pretty so, good. And then and it, it was fantastic. We had a lot of guys would um, guys and girls would come and and um, their instruments from the con and through town that wanted somebody to meeting spot and hang to, mm. to you know, for musicians and yeah they were they were fun fun days excellent good, some great music too then so yeah it was a good band now you've done some recording with various people as well did you want to talk a bit about that Ben sure a l- little bit of stuff um or with Kim was the would be the early stuff. We did a few um, albums with him. Um, What's the first one? It's called Trio Juice. That was a, an independent label. Like, I think they're all independent. Um, and then was Let's Swing. Another one we did with uh, with Dave McAvoy and Tim Bowen and the great Bob Jeffries on on tenor sax um, with the Boss Trio. Um, and a, and a couple with Catherine Lambert, Adelaide's um, great vocalist, Catherine Lambert. So there's um, – I know there was one um, that James Clark on bass and Kim Perling on piano and myself and Catherine that was all standards. Mm. I'm pretty sure. And then there was another one that we did when she um, she had a small part in a, a Bill Murray movie called Lost in Translation and she put out an album – with um, the title track "Lost in Translation" and some other stuff on on that, um, mm. yeah. I guess the most recent um, recordings of, um, I made was with the the Airbenders. That's mm. available online or at the gig. Come see us. Tuesday Excellent. Nights. Yes, every Tuesday night, Ben plays. So, if you're a fan of jazz, get in there and have a listen and. So Buy it. the album. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share, Ben? Memorable gig. My favourite gig is always the last gig I've played. So last night, Bam was smoking. We were playing 
Actually, um, Hugh Stuckey did last night with us. He's a wonderful Adelaide guitarist um, from Adelaide. He moved to the US, been in New York, New York for the last um, several years, or well, in in, uh, in uh, Melbourne. But he's living back as so many great Adelaide musicians have sort of um, moved back t- to town for a little while. Um, yeah, well, it's a good place to be because you can play here. It's yeah. a, it, 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 yeah, it is, and so there's some. Some really good players around at the moment, and so Hugh's doing the next couple of weeks with us. Um, and so, yeah, my me- most memorable gig's always the last one because it's it's just so great to be playing. Um, actually, I remember that probably one that does come to mind was a, um, and I, it was because it had such an it was um, made such an impression on me. The first time I saw the um, Ray Brown's trio, the great late. Ray Brown, um, a wonderful bassist, and it was my um, th- th- that trio was my it was my hero as far as trios c- are concerned. When I first started getting into jazz seriously, because it just made me feel great. That um, early early um, sort of like that I used to listen to it when I first um, got into jazz it was the Oscar Peterson trio and Ray Brown. And that's the music that spoke to me early on, just because it made me feel so good, and I, um, I just love playing along with it and love Ray's bass lines and. In fact, when I first the first album I heard of Oscar Peterson was um, was the trio with Herb Ellis and Ray Brown. Of course, there's no drums, and it, I reckon I got about halfway through the album before I realised there's no drum. Um, I think it just it's got such a strong feel. It's um, mm. and so that I, that was my early learning how to play swing music, playing along with those with all those albums, um, and then I got into the and then the, the Ray Brown trio with the various reincarnations of that of that group but so when they came to Adelaide in the 90s early 90s I think it was or the mid 90s it was with um, Benny Green on the piano and Kenny Washington on drums and they played at the they did a show at the old line hotel and and Kim's trio was asked to do the support um, for it so we warmed up as best we could we warmed up the stage for them um, and it was just such an honour to play. I mean, I look back now and I think, oh, what was I? Should have been terrified. I was a little bit terrified. I was more excited. I wasn't really terrified. I was just, I couldn't wait. It was, fan. It was so much fun. And then got to meet the guys and hang with the guys and, and watch them play you know, on the side. Just And it was just yeah, fantastic. And I, while they were in town, got to hang out with them, drive them around and, and look, at it, look, at, look at the Adelaide sites. So that was a memorable experience, yeah, for sure. Excellent. What about while you're over in New York? Can you think of anything that happened over there that um, will stay with you forever? Um, see, seeing all the guys, seeing my favourite players, probably the band that I saw, I saw a bunch of times. When it, um, um, but the most, one of the most memorable um, bands. Oh, it's where do you start? It's hard. Um. Billy Higgins, one of my favourite drummers, so get, get seeing him play a number of times was just, yeah, I was always in awe watching Billy play. Just the sound, and if those that have heard, uh, that have seen seen and heard Billy play live, the, the, the joy that, that he sort of, um, that permeates through his, not just the music, I mean, you can hear it on the albums, but when you, to see him in, in to see him live, it just, this, his whole face, his whole vibe is just joy and passion and love of, of jazz and music and swing. And it's just, it's infectious. It's contagious. Um, 
uh, yeah, so watching uh, Billy and getting to hang with him in the in the breaks and, and having a rave about music and that's probably what that would be up there with with some of the best gigs I've seen. But oh, a bunch of them, uh, yeah. And you did workshops while you were over there. I, I took a bunch of lessons off, like one on one lessons with um, mm. various people. Um, I did for a couple of years. I did the the Stanford Jazz Workshops. I had a small part, sort of helping out there, playing in some of the ensembles, and um, uh, if I, yeah, I, I I had this deal for a couple of years that um, if I play with play, help out, sort of backing some of the, the groups, I get to I get to do it for nothing and get my accommodation. So I did that. Um, that was fantastic. So, um, mm. Getting to ha- that was what I first met um, Lewis Lewis Nash. He was there with um, a couple of wonderful pianists, uh, Mulgrew Miller, the late Mulgrew Miller, one of the most awesomest, one of my favourite players, and George Cables was the other pianist that was there that year. Um, James Moody, um, yeah, a bunch of yeah. So that yeah, I did that um, did that for a couple of years. Yeah, Great. lots of fun stuff. Is there a band that you wish you had had an opportunity to play with them? Oh God, um, I could go back in time and be a fly on the wall, or or, or, or and just hang in there in Rudy Van Gelder's studio and and watch some of the the, the greatest jazz albums of all time. Just watch them being made and unfold would have been would have been awesome. Um, to think of anyone that I would have loved to play with, oh, that's, that's that's hard. There's so many people. Um, God, to go back, to go back in time and 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 sit in um, Minton's or any and watch the uh, jazz and the, the early jazz sort of emerging, the emergence of it. Um, would have been fantastic. Or actually, in I'm fascinated by all those, any of those sort of the transitions of, of sort of one form of music to an over several years. It happens often happens underground, and then it, before it sort of hits the, the airwaves and, and the records. Mm. Um, but certainly in, the, in that period where it's, you know swing music, and then 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 bop sort of emerging in the underground, then sort of becoming more and more popular. The same as back in. Um, Early rock and roll, like pre pre rock and roll, watching the emergence of all those those early artists, um, little Richard and El- early Elvis, sort of coming out of that, who of course brought in the bit of the country sort of um, thing into the blues and rock, and watching all of that, that the transitions of music um, to go back and be a part of and watch, and maybe it's happening now. Um, I mean, it's, ha- it's changing all the yeah. time. There's just yeah. there's just so many different branches sort of morphing off. Off now, but yeah, it's it's never stands still. It's always evolving music. Um, yeah, True. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I found it fascinating when I was in Memphis and I went on the um, Sun Records tour. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, never been. I would have that, fabulous. I bet it was. Yeah, I've heard it's heard it's really, Yeah, you know they've got so much memorabilia there for mm. you to look at. It's just. Truly amazing, and then you get mm. to stand in the studio and you know sing or well, pretend to sing in Elvis's mic on his yeah, spot yeah. on the floor and all that. Yeah, it's a great place. Awesome, definitely yeah. worth having a look if anybody 
<laughs> if we ever get to travel again and anybody heads to Memphis, go and have a look at that awesome. one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's sure. where it happened. What's that saying? What's the first track? The first um it's his first song, the first one he recorded. I can't remember the name of it. it was in, I, know, I know he was in high school. It's All Right, Mama, isn't it? Yep. It's All Right? Yep, yep. High Sam. school. Yep. Yeah. Amazing. The, the whole story is really fascinating, you know, the way the studio was run and everything. Yeah. And to have so I mean, much being, of their memorabilia left is I mean, be, being there to watch that, being, being, being there to see that, and then being, in, being there to see, you know, Dizzy and Parker sort of um, – and all that, that, and then you know, Kenny Clark started to change the way the drums, the, the approach to drums. We, um, I mean, any of those, yeah, fascinating. The history, it's, it's such a one, um, a rich history music has. Mm, definitely. COVID had a tremendous impact on the music industry, Ben, mm. and you were fortunate that you had a, uh, a career to, you know, fall back on <laughs> to help, you know, you mm. to live throughout this whole um, lockdowns and shutdowns and everything else that has happened. Um, how long were you unable to play for, Ben? It seemed like a long – it seemed longer than it was. It's um, maybe eight months, mm. first time, because it happened a couple of times and then we got shut down again for another few months after that. But – um, and it was that. I mean, I've always known it's important to play, and I love playing. But it's um, the lockdown happened. I think uh, a lot of musicians would 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 say this too. But that's you know, it was really clear that 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 we don't play because we want to. It's, we play because we have to. So mm. we we need to play. Um, it's kind of like breathing. It's um, to play and be creative, and um, it's not just to play, but to you know, be. Yeah, to so I did lots. So I probably um, I did more practice at home than I'd done in years. I mean, I've always I've always um, got a um, something on the go as far as working on on something. Um, so that I definitely upped up that during that during that period, which I've maintained. Which is so I guess that's one of the the, the silver linings is that it's gotten me um, back into. Um, more of a, a regular practice schedule, which I've always had, but um, but certainly since the, the COVID lockdown sort of got it, um, I think we all set our set our homes up to have our own um, yeah somewhere to, to to play regularly without bothering too many people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that yeah that that was tough for tough for um, yeah for all of us, I think. Yeah, it certainly was. But and we're better, uh, you know, we're, we're we're better for it. Um, now, and if you think of the, the positive side of it, I think there's a there's definitely a vibe of, of um, the the audience that comes along to to shows now. I've I've just I can feel it that there's um, maybe because we don't take it for as as much for granted now, but there's a sort of like a mutual more of a mutual connection. It's always there, but there's people are very appreciative of. of um, more more appreciative, I think, now of live music um, and the privilege it is to be able to to listen and to be and to play and to be a part of that that, that community. And so, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. And the reason why I have this discussion with my guests is the fact that I've got um, a lot of the listeners actually live overseas, mm. so it's nice for them to hear 
that they're, you know, positives have come out of COVID, you know, and there are certain things for them to look forward to once they can actually mm. play themselves because, you know, they can't all do that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we're yeah, for sure. very fortunate to be where we are. That first, um, I remember the first, I mean, um, show after the, um, when we were able to go out and play again live, and, and it was exciting. Um, took a took a few, uh, probably took the first song to kind of get on the bandstand to get back into into the action properly because it's it's very it is very different playing at home and um, than playing in live in a, um, or recording than than and playing live on the bandstand where it's all spontaneous and unfolding and moment to moment. Um, but that it was just. Yeah, that was that that would that was a memorable um, gig. I think coming playing back out, and then the audience also sort of feeling it too. That wow, here we are. This is great. We've missed this. Um, yeah, yeah. So for those that are listening that are, are still sort of struggling with the with the lockdown and that, it's there's yeah definitely plenty of music to come. It's yeah, hang in there because it's yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen and it will be really good. You'll enjoy it's it. Been, the yeah, audience will like Yeah, it'd be lovely. Mm, no, it's mm, nice to it's, yeah, try and concentrate on some positives that have come from it. Mm. Mm. Now, if you could offer um, one tip to a brand new drummer, Ben, what would that be? Jazz drummer or any drummer? Jazz drummer? A brand new drummer, doesn't matter. We can concentrate on jazz, seeing as you specialise in, in that field. Jazz drummer. Um, respect the history and uh, learn to play the bass drum correctly. <laughs> there's the two. <laughs> there's ben, ben Riley's two tips for, for budding, budding young jazz drummers. Um, uh, respect the history. Do your homework. Um don't let other people do the homework for you. That's one of the things with, um, with the internet now. You, it's 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 there's so many videos, so many. But listen to the records and figure it out. Um, yeah, it's it's there's a whole. It's like a. It's like doing it's like doing your own master's degree, listening to the old records and trying to figuring out what they're playing and what 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 all the great drummers have got in common. Um, how they how they approach the tune. I mean, I've always listened to music in that way. Um, I guess not, I've, I've not listened to maybe that's why attracted me to jazz. I, I, I don't. I've never listened to it purely for what's the what's what is that? What's the drummer playing? What what tom tom is he playing? And how's he do? And I'm listening like that, but I'm, I'm listening more about how the drums approach the tune and, and this um, what happens between you know the changes of the form or. The end of the end of the song, leading to the next solo, beginning of the next head, all that kind of, and building that tension. So that rather than sort of licks per se, but just the overall kind of form and how how the drums contributes to that overall um, the composition of the of that music with jazz. It's live, it's unfolding um, the right. Um, so that's um, so listening to it. I guess learning to listen to music um, in that way, and then. Then figuring out what what all the great drummers have got in common because they're all so different, but there are similarities. There are things that are just that need to be done. 
in certain places. And so, yeah, do your, do your homework and, um, yeah, the bass drum. Check it out. And there's one tip that's served me really well over the years, particularly my early days as a, as a jazz drummer, um, was don't play too loud and don't play too much. I learned early on in my career that um, I worked out pretty early on that the softer I played, the more gigs I got. Mm. So volume is negatively associated with income. The softer mm. I played, the more money I got, <laughs> the more money I got. Um, and I and and so I did a lot of work in my early days with um, with vocalists around town, backing different vocalists. And I'm sure that was one of the you know laying down a good groove, supporting the band, keeping out the way, but um, contributing more when it's needed. Um, and that that served me well over the years. Um, and so that's um, yeah, that would be one of probably the number one tip for the um, for the young drummers. Yeah, mm. it's hard to play soft and intense. Um, I mean that's a chop. That's a chop all in itself. We talk about chops and drums playing softly and intensely um, and getting it exciting. Um, that's yeah. That, that's that's a skill in itself. So. Definitely. And you don't and you and you don't see that one on YouTube. But when you you know YouTube's full of um, drum licks and different bits and pieces and this is how, but not that stuff. Um, that's all in the records when you listen to them. You listen to what, how the drums approach the music. Yeah. Because you used to play along to records quite a lot, didn't you? So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's what we did. That's um, you know, it was um, I still remember as a kid. You know, um, uh, it seemed like a long distance to run across the room, but I only had little legs. So I remember being a little little, t- dropping the knee, getting the perfect drop, and you knew that you had to get it. You know, there's a space between the tracks. Mm. Um, you'd have a few seconds before the track starts, so you'd drop the needle down on the record player and then you'd have about maybe five seconds before the track started and you had that that was the time it took to run across the room and get behind the drums and get ready for the downbeat. <laughs> 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 Playing along with records, yeah. And see, that good thing about that was you had to play along to every track, even the ones you didn't care much for, like the slower ones or the quieter ones, because you, to get up and skip the track, you couldn't. You know, you, you just play the whole side, and you stop just when the side had finished, and you go and turn it over. So you, you learnt to play the whole album, and not just the not just the ones you. And then the ones that you didn't care for so much, they you, they you started to care for them. They grew on you. You know what it's like when you get a record. You know, the more you mm. listen to it, even the even the, the the tracks that aren't that you didn't first like, after a while you love them. So. That's the way. That's the way we used to play along to records. You know, none of this shuffle. You know, pick out the song. You just play, you play the whole side. Well, that's because that's how we used to yeah. listen to records. Even God, you know, to music. We're sounding, you, we're sounding yeah. old now, aren't we? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Back in the R day. <laughs> yeah, I know. But you did. I mean, because you, you didn't get a lot. I, I know. I certainly. Didn't no. receive a lot as a as a child, so you know you really treasured the ones that you did. God, get and even when CD, gift. even the sort of even the move to CDs, like when I remember buying CD in the early days of CDs, and, and that they were expensive, and as as were records, they were more expensive than records, and you and you didn't because we didn't have the internet to um, to to stream all of the music, so you you got a record, 
you, and then you just listen, you devour it and you learn everything on it. You learn every stroke, every drum beat, every transition that drums made between that and that and every track. And you just, you, you intimately all of it. Mm. And then you got the next one. So you got more out of each album. Um, I, I think that's a challenge. I guess I, I, that maybe that's one of the challenges today is there's so much around just to stand still in one spot and, and really um, sort of um, devour everything on an album um, mm. with so much of um, distraction around. I think that's a challenge. Yeah. 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 Something that, I don't know, they, they don't seem to do these days, like really mm. get into a full album, just maybe one or two songs off of them. It's a shame because there's often hidden gems in amongst the album. Oh, but then the other side of that is you can you can hit YouTube and you can, um, bam, there you go, you've got early Chick Web recordings and you can hear his eight-bar breaks, you know, and then see somebody talking about him, you know, like, wow, there it is, just within a few keystrokes, there it is. Um, I mean, it didn't have that. Um, I remember buying, having to order in a VHS um, video of those early. Um, I got that from the states years ago when I was young um, to see some of the early footage of those bands. Um, Chick Webb was one of them. Um, but now, so that's the it's it's all available. So I guess that's it's um, the other thing I'd suggest to young budding jazz drummers is the the importance of that. So this it's it, even more important these days is to um, hook up with a good teacher um, for some guidance around just to put you in, put you under the, um, into where where to look and what to. Because um, there's so much stuff around, you need some um, it's helpful to have some guidance as to where to pay attention. Because um, there's so much stuff around. That's the plus side, but yeah, someone to um, help navigate and what um, through all of that stuff. Yeah, mm. great, excellent. Thank you. Locally, who are your top three drummers? I knew you were going to ask me a question like this, and at risk of them all, um, of anybody listening, I've got to list everyone. Um, everybody. I I no, <laughs> I'm just going to I'm sticking to three. I'm going to um, <laughs> roll a caveat across my answer, saying that there's there, there's probably people that I'm not that just haven't come to mind, not for any reason of me um, liking their abilities and their greatness. It's just there's nothing that comes. The, fir um, so the first guys I think of, Angus, obviously Angus Mason, awesome Adelaide drummer, um, moved to New York. I think he's um, back in town, as, as many guys are. Now there's um, Kyrie Anderson, awesome yeah, drummer. Yeah, Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie Anderson. Uh, ben Todd, obviously, beautiful drummer. Mm -hmm. um, guys there's of my three. vintage. <laughs> yeah, there's three. Um, John McDermott, um, Yuri, uh, the guys of my, uh, but just concentrate on the younger. And and there's there's a bunch of young of, of young drummers coming out of the con um, that I hear from time to time. There's some yeah, so they're doing something they're doing something right then because um, there's there's some good young players coming out so yeah i think we're in good hands excellent ben if you could invite any musicians to play with you in a concert anywhere in the world who would you call up and where would you hold this concert i would have loved to play with ray brown um mm -hmm. i got to meet him got to watch him play and hang for a bit but it would have been 
a solid baseline. Um, Paul Chambers, would have loved to play with Paul Chambers. Red Garland, got all the old, all the all the goal, the old guys. Tell you what, being playing in um, playing in Armour Jamal's trio, now that'd be something, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. And where would you be what holding this? At the Pershing <laughs> in, <laughs> in the States. Um, um, yeah, at a hall somewhere. I don't know. Excellent. Ben, is there something that you've tried really hard to play but you couldn't get it right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? Oh, that's, that's an easy answer. I was, I was only talking about this album last night um, with Paul um, and that was the the Chick Corea album, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs, um, and there's a track on I think it's the first track, might not be, but there's a track on there called Matrix and it's blues. And I remember years ago, um, back at when I was at, um, back at uni, back at the con, determined to um, to transcribe Roy's playing on that on that album, particularly his ride cymbal and his comping, and and just that 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 broken feel. I think I don't think they got they moved to four at all in that. Um, the tension it's incredible. That album is just. If you walked into a club today and heard that playing, you would think it's the most contemporary music, and you'd love it. I'm not sure if I even got through the first couple of choruses, but I've got a transcription somewhere of that, um, or at least the first few choruses of Roy's playing on that album, and I was determined to play the whole song. I never quite got there. I didn't get through the whole track, so that's that's maybe that's my next my next so job. S- still on the to-do list. Still on the to-do list, yeah, to get through that track um, and, and play it all, yeah. I'm going to do that. You've inspired me now. Okay. Well, I look forward to hearing that you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> ben, do you ever get bored with your own playing? No, not, not at, at risk of sounding narcissistic. No, because um, I'm always listening and um, still trying to get better, still trying to get to that, um, and I'll never get there. Well, I mean, there's always further to go, isn't there? You never sort of stand still. You can't True. stand still. Um, as soon as you do that, you, you, you could get bored. But, um, I mean, I, I hear – no, I mean, there, there are times that I, when I'm playing that I, if I feel like oh, I'm playing the same stuff, then I'll, that'll inspire me to – as a signal to, you know – Put some time aside to listen more, and it's hard when you're busy. Like as you said, I, I, I've got a day job as well, so it's to make the time to to listen to new stuff and and, and keep the keep the practice going. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's important to keep fresh. And you know, if people are, I mean, I kind of I feel if I've got privileged enough to to still be playing um, regularly and live, if people are good enough to to take the time to come and hear a band, then we, we owe it to the um, to the audience to, to be in, to be match ready, to be in top shape and to be giving, giving our, um, giving our all. So that's sort of, yeah, that's kind of how I, I approach it. Mm. I recently uh, noticed a post on Instagram and it was getting a lot of um, people commenting on it. So I had mm-hmm. a look. It got me a bit curious. And um, they were asking 
drummers to choose three things off of a list of five that were the most important to them as a drummer. So mm-hmm. I'll give you the, the, the five. So they had um, groove, creativity, mm-hmm. chops, technique, and time. Which three are most important to you? They're all kind of related, aren't they? Mm. Um, grooves, obviously, that's that's got to be the most important. It's got to feel good, and it's what. What do you mean by groove? I mean, when I think of groove, I'm thinking if it makes people feel good, um, they feel like dancing, tap their feet, um, the mm. band feels good, feels alive. So the groove, but then um, good time. I mean, it's it's every musician in the band has to have good time, not just the drummer. So, um, so that, um, but um, time's an obvious one. Uh, what were the other ones? So there was groove, time, or oh, creativity. Mm. Be creative too. That's probably the so the the top. I had to pick three, did I? Three out of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three. Not to say that um, that chops aren't important. I mean, chops. You mean um, technique, like good good technique. You need good technique. Or you, um, good technique helps to play good time and to be creative because you can get um, to get all the things in your head to be creative out. You've got more, you know, you've got new language. You need sort of the, the technique to be able to, um, to be able to make it happen. I mean, all the mm. greatest drummers have got, have got all those things. So they're all kind of, they're all important, but yeah, I guess they'd be my three. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting to get, um, as I said, I've just recently introduced this question, so everybody's giving me a, a different answer, so it's really good to, mm. yeah. I'm wondering whether certain drummers that, like yourself are jazz and then you've got your blues or you've got your rock. And I'm wondering if there's sort of like a, a common choice of three out of the five for each mm. genre. It would be quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, because despite with so many of the drummers that I've interviewed having, you know, different styles and mm. what have you, you all still have things in common, mm. such as, you know, the ability to not be able to keep still for long. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, you've I'm tapping got, my hand in the. I, I can, yeah. I'm doing it softly here now, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm still doing it. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see how this sort of separates you all. You know, mm. yeah. Mm. Oh, there's a PhD in that for someone, I reckon. Well, there's certainly a book out of this, and I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to be turning it into one mm. because we've got so so many wonderful yeah. uh, drummers here in Adelaide. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So we're getting a nice. Uh, collection together and yeah there's some wonderful Mm. stories and great experiences that i think that uh, especially younger drummers would um appreciate being able to tap into that information later Mm. perhaps you know yeah Mm. Mm. bit of a resource of adelaide drummers of which we have Mm. fabulous ones yeah how many projects are you involved with at the moment on a regular basis is there anything else other than the tuesday night one with the airbenders that's the only one that's um kick-started again since um 
the COVID um, lockdown um, and a couple other things that didn't pick, didn't start up again. So that's other than picking up, you know, sort of freelance little bits here and there. Um, the Tuesday night, the, the Airbenders one is the main one for me at the moment. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. Oh, well, hopefully some more work comes out. Mm. I know you love playing. Mm. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years, Ben? 10 years older, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> just crossed myself then. <laughs> so, um, no, as far as performing goes. Yeah, yeah. Ten, um, well, still 10 years older and still playing regularly and still being relevant and still enjoyable and, and having the help to be able to, um, to still play and, and, and hopefully be 10 years better. Um, like... Um, yeah, I've got to um, continually trying to improve. If I I spend the rest of my drumming days trying to get as close to the swing feel that Philly Joe Jones and all those um, some of those uh, um, drummers that just the epitome of swing. If I can get closer to that in my lifetime, is my, my aim is to get as close to that as I can. Um, I may be a long way from it. Get, get, getting to the goal is not – I mean, you never get there. You just – there's always further to go. It's a bit like um, heading north. That's my heading north. Mm. You never you never reach north. There's always more to go. So that's sort of my eye on the prize just to keep on. So I guess in 10 years' time, hopefully I'm a little I'm, – I'm closer. I'm, I'm still heading north um, and in some way or form um, and not standing still. Mm. Is, yeah. Excellent. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Ben 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Ben? I'm on my mark, Di. Excellent. Your time starts now. What was the first concert that you went to? It was the Cliff Richard's Shadows. What's the best type of wood for pizza ovens? Red gum. Name the first album that you purchased. Oh, um, could have been a Bruce Springsteen album. Back in the 80s, yeah. Who was the better drummer, Art Blakey or Buddy Rich? Oh, I hate that question. Um, I'm going to go Art Blakey, but I love them both. Name a band you wish you'd seen play live. Oscar Peterson Trio. Which do you prefer, vinyl or CDs? Vinyl. The most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? A gig. Oh, couple, not too many. I'm not a big stick dropper. Your favourite jazz standard? There is no greater love. If you couldn't play drums, what else would you do? Mmm, play piano. Name a famous drummer that you would like to meet. Philly Joe Jones. Your favourite saying? Be kind. What CD 
CD do you play the most on a long drive? <sighs> All the Red Garland albums. What was the first car that you owned? Toyota Corolla. Name your favourite pizza. Pepperoni. Name one thing that you cannot live without. Uh, my dog. What is your biggest fear? Spiders. Least favourite song to play? Oh, fly me to the moon. What is your fav- <laughs> uh, What is your number one bucket list item? Oh, we've run out of time. Oh, you're never going to know now, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me just get rid of that. It doesn't want to stop in a hurry. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, thank you once again, Ben, for joining me for the Band About mm. podcast today. You've been great to chat to, and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. <laughs> it's been my pleasure, Di. Thanks very much. All the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes, and please feel free to message me if you have any requests for future Band About podcast guests. And make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss the next episode when it's available thank you once again ben no worries Di. thank you that's it from me Di. banded about proudly supporting live music Thank you.
Thank you.